You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, 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 Greg Berhalter has called up 28 players for the upcoming World Cup qualifiers against El Salvador, Canada, and Honduras. I'm Heath Pierce alongside Jimmy Conrad, and we are going to break down this recent call-up and a lot more. Kegelasso begins right now. Now, Jimmy Conrad, before we get started, I just want to let everybody know that make sure you are subscribing to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is a lot of fun. It keeps uh, the conversation going. The more you get engaged, leave us a rating and review. But first off, Jimmy, let's get straight into it because we got this is hot off the press. And okay. we got to talk about this roster going into some big, big matches. First off, give me your just initial take on it. On a 1 to 10 scale, I'm going to throw it right at you. On a 1 to 10 <laughs> one scale. To 10. On what you would God, I'm already it. on the hot seat, everybody. Are you, God, are you giving an 8 on this, a 9? Are you giving a 7 or a 6? I mean, it's arbitrary, but give me a I'll, number. I'll, just, I'll, just I'll say, from, right from the outset, Heath Pierce, I'm going to say that there are names on this list that will probably trigger every single fan in some capacity. They're like, oh my, what? You know, or, or, or some omissions. No, John Anthony Brooks. It's Greg Berhalter drunk, you know, and there's going to be all types of stuff, and that is fun. But when I look at the roster overall, and you can see the names on the screen here, I think that it's balanced. I think that we're starting to see a more regular 11 starting to emerge here. I think that we are definitely seeing Greg trust a certain group of players, and he continues to stick by them. And and there's some value in that. I feel like every coach has their favorites, so this isn't isolated to Greg Berhalter and we do see some omissions that maybe some clubs aren't being as helpful as we'd like and I think that COVID does maybe bring some fear into the equation and I'm kind of thinking about Daryl DK I'll give out a name specifically here over a Jossie Zardes who I I actually was a little bit surprised to see here maybe West Brom isn't allowing Daryl DK to come out and play with the U.S. right now and that's understandable he just got over there COVID stuff blah 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 now in terms of my out of 10 and I want to throw it back to you for this, Heath Pierce, because I don't want to be the only one on the hot seat. I will say this is a, this is an eight. Given everything that we have at the disposal or, or all the players at our disposal, you know, Giorena's still hurt. Not a big surprise he's not in. I was surprised that Joe Scally's not in. I know that he, COVID slash injury, kind of leading up to it, so maybe he's not as sharp as he, or as we would like or he would like at this point. So maybe Munch and Gladbach was a bit reluctant to let him go. John Anthony Brooks, I think that ship has sailed, so I'm not surprised he's not in. Daryl DK, still a bit of a surprise for me. I, I guess I want him in more than Greg does at this particular moment, or maybe West Brom is throwing a wrench into these things. I'm pleasantly surprised to see De La Torre, so, so that is nice, but no big surprises uh, outside of that. So Gino Dess is back in after being injured through the November window, so it's good to see him back. I assume he's going to start against El Salvador, and then we'll see how he does for the rest of the games. What are your thoughts out of 10? Yeah, I'd give it above an 8. I think maybe an 8.5, just based on the current players available. Of course, I think there's some, uh, as you mentioned, some some reason for uproar if you're the U.S. soccer fan base, not having a DK in there, for example. However, when I look at when I look at who's available and who, who got called in, who didn't, obviously they've gone full length on this, 28 players coming in. Uh, you know, and I want to get into a few different themes that, I, that we can break down, a few different things that we can talk about. But, you know, I'd say I'd give it over an, over an 8. Okay. Mostly okay. because of the fact that he continues bit. to bring new players. I'd say, say I'm giving an 8.5 just because 
I'm trying to think of who's not in that has warranted a call up. And that's problematic to me right now because this is not this does not feel like an 8.5 lineup. Uh, if I were if I were to think about the the, the team and 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 what it could be, only because of the fact that uh, a lot of these players aren't playing. A lot of these players are coming out of off seasons. Our best players in Europe. You you've still got Gio Reyna injured, which I think is a little bit concerning. And then you've got a number of players who aren't getting consistent minutes. That's Serginho Dest. You've got uh, Reggie Cannon coming back in, and 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 he hasn't been he hasn't gotten his World Cup qualifying cap yet. And so yeah, there's just a lot of mix of players. I think the one player. You know, to get straight into to, to some of these themes, uh, which we'll talk we'll talk about this in a minute, is, is the Slanina call up. And again, I would say, you know, for the first theme, Jimmy, you, you, and you said this when, when we were talking about it before. It seems like Greg's Greg's got his guys right. He's starting to have his. I mean, he's always had his guys, and I think that's that's been a big problem for a lot of fans of saying, you know, whether that's your Ariola or your Jossie Zardes, and again, you know, Ariola in the mix of of some uh, transfer. Uh, news in his life right now, but it, it seems like more and more take away the the, the favoritism that that we mm-hmm, think exists. Mm-hmm. It seems like he's starting to get a grip on his team or who he's going to go to. Do you think that's a, the, accurate, or do you think that's uh, and do you think that's a good thing? Oh, I think it is a good thing. I think that if we start to identify, or the coaching staff and Greg start to identify a starting eleven that's really starting to emerge as the one you want moving forward, you want them to get as many reps as possible. Because they need to be able to suffer together, right? They need to be able to solve problems on the field that doesn't necessitate trying to figure that out at halftime or in a recap after a game. You want them to be able to figure things out in real time. And knowing that they have been through this before, I think, is really important with this particular group of players. The, I'll just throw it out there very quickly. I think I think Stefan is emerging as the number one, with all due respect to Matt Turner and his interest to Arsenal, which is pretty cool. Anthony Robinson, I think, is the lockdown at left. I think you got Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman, who have been our, our center backs. Chris Richards is getting a little bit closer, I think, to pushing into that if possible. Mark McKenzie, pleasant surprise to see in there. I'm excited for him on a personal level. Then the right back spot, I think, is still somewhat open. Serginho Jess, DeAndre Yedlin's in. He's got 71 caps, most experienced player in camp. Got Reggie Cannon back in. Nice to see him back in and getting a look. 28 players is a lot, so obviously not all these guys are going to play. Then you have MMA in the middle. You have Musa McKenney and Adams. That seems like a lock, and I want as many reps with them as possible. And then it looks like Ricardo Pepe will be our nine. And I think you have Brendan Aronson and Christian Pulisic on either side of him. Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams are the only two players out of all these 28 that have played in all eight of our World Cup qualifiers. I don't think that's going to change. I think they're both going to play. I hope in all three of the games. We'll see if, and that's another theme I want to get into with you, Heath, is the changes that Greg might make at the start. And, or, or is he going to go with a mixed lineup against El Salvador and go up like, like our best against Canada? Or are we just going to see our best possible players throughout for, for eight? eight days, you know, and, and we learned against Panama that when we switched the lineup and have too many changes, we lost one zero. We didn't look good at any point during that game. Maybe that's not the way to go. So I'm very curious to see how he's going to handle that. But it, I, and then, yeah, so that's my starting lineup. And I think that's what's starting to emerge. Now, Gio Reyna obviously is going to have something to say there that right back spot. I think Dust will start or should be in our start 11 until proven otherwise. But, but I think it's starting to emerge and, and that's a good thing I think for the team. And now you start at, at, identify who are the spot starters, who are your super subs, that type of stuff. And, and this is that time of year. We're starting to inch closer and closer to qualifying. And then, of course, to having to name our 23-man roster for the yeah. big enchilada. Yeah, and, and, and uh, if our producer does, does, if you mind throwing that uh, roster back up on the screen real quick, I want to walk through a few of these things with Jimmy um, in terms of Greg's guys, right? So just looking at that defensive 
list, Jimmy. You got Reggie Cannon, not a ton of experience in World Cup qualifiers. Zinho Dest not playing right now. Brooks Lennon uh, in an off, in an off season. Uh, you've got Mark McKenzie in and out of the lineup, but more out than he is in, though he did have a decent run of games. Chris Richards has been great. Uh, Anthony Robinson, as you mentioned. Miles Robinson, out of season. DeAndre Yedlin plays, uh, you know, on and off. Walker Zimmerman, out of season. Now, when you look at that, Jimmy, my argument here is that the the John Anthony Brooks argument, he came out and said that he hasn't been playing well, right? He, he kind of acknowledged when he wasn't called, and he, he kind of acknowledged the moment. And I just wonder... What's still going on here that we haven't heard him come out and speak about this? Greg Berhalter hasn't come out and speak about this. It was, it was painted very much about a performance thing. I think John Anthony Brooks is, is actually getting minutes. He's going to play this weekend against RB Leipzig and Tyler Adams. Uh, and, and I just wonder, again, at, at what point do, are we going to learn about what's actually going on? You know, I know that sometimes in the locker rooms, you want to keep things in the locker room, things like that. But right. if you are a fan and, and you want a little more transparency to a guy who's who's as experienced as he is, played in the World Cup for the U.S., uh, playing regularly, had a dip in form, as Wolfsburg also had a dip in form, going mm-hmm, through managerial mm-hmm, changes, mm-hmm. but has been playing relatively decently lately, still not called in. And then when you look across the board, you go, okay, if this was two months ago, I get it. If this was a month ago, I get it. But right now you're talking about a number of players that aren't in the same situation as him coming into this camp. So if I had to surmise and speculate, that's what we do. We love to do it here on the Kegolasso podcast. I don't think that John Anthony Brooks, I don't see he's not a good teammate. I'm, I'm, I don't know for sure. I can't speak to that. Do you but think he he's might be, out for good? I do think he's out for good. Otherwise, he would have called him in again at this point. If it was like, uh, I want to send a message, behavioral thing that we saw with Wesley McKinney, and I leave him out, and then I bring him back in, that's something different. We've already seen Greg execute that with McKinney. With regard to John Anthony Brooks, when he didn't start against El Salvador, the first World Cup qualifying game of the, of, of the window, uh, I remember hearing some rumblings that he wasn't happy about that. And then he starts against Canada, and he's the one that doesn't track Kyle Aaron, just lets him run right past him, which is unacceptable given how the whole situation played out. And, and I get maybe there was some kind of conversation after that whole sequence where he was rumbling by not starting. Then we start him and he plays and he doesn't play particularly well. And I bet you there were some words that were, were, were had between him and Greg. That's my sense. Or maybe something he said to the coaching staff. And, you know, we've, we've seen it before. We maybe even engaged in it ourselves. We make this off-cuff remark and that gets actually sent back up to the head guy who goes, what the hell? Why is he saying that? You know, that type of stuff. And, and maybe, there's a, maybe there are – we know some players too. And, and I'm going to speculate again. I'm going to make sure I throw that, that word out there. That maybe John Anthony Brooks – is a guy that if he doesn't start, he's not necessarily good for the team because he's going to rumble, grumble, and he's going to be upset, and he's going to maybe undermine the guys that are starting and make some comments that that kind of throws the team off. And you have to take care. you got to watch out for those guys that even though they're super talented, when things aren't going their way, they can be problems. And, and they might not even know they're doing it. It's just their way of processing disappointment that they're not in the team. So I don't want to necessarily throw anybody under the bus here. Everybody processes disappointment and not being the number one guy or whatever in different ways. And maybe John Anthony Brooks was doing it in a way that was being detrimental to the team overall. That's the only thing that I can see here because he ticks every other box. He's got experience. He's played in a World Cup. He plays in World Cup qualifiers. He's been around. He plays in a good league. They're in the Champions League, or they were. You know, they got all this. He has everything. So I feel like there has to be something that's a little bit more personal between him and Greg for it to have gotten to this point. But that's what I'm I'm absorbing here from this situation. What, what, what do you say? 
Yeah, I agree. I, I, again, and, and, and I guess we've talked about this uh, ad nauseum, and, and I don't, we don't need to rehash it because I agree with you. I'm just sort of trying to, again, continue mm -hmm, to process mm -hmm. the fact that we've seen a lot of transparency, and there was a lot of transparency about the form when that happened. And the fact that there hasn't been a follow-up to that of saying, hey, we actually, you know, it's an attitude thing, or we've got to move on, and, you know, his performances continue to not be at the level that we want for the role that he's going to play, and blah, blah, blah. So I think, uh, you know, I just hope that something comes out about that at some point that gives us a little bit more to sink our teeth into in terms of the situation, uh, because whenever I think about it, I think about some of the older games. He hasn't been particularly well for the national team, but he does have the ability to, as we see with the club level, to, to, to help the national team at certain points, even if it's the 90th minute, come in and clear balls and clear lines because you're a giant in the box on set pieces to close out games. Jimmy, let's shift to uh, another point that, that I think is worth, worth talking about with, the, with this roster that came out. Gabriel Slanina, dual national, capable of playing uh, for the Polish national team, called into this one. You know, we, we, I complained, at least, in the, <laughs> December, in the December friendly, that this was an opportunity to play him. We saw that Matt Turner got the start. He played the 90 minutes. I think that's really important. Great to get minutes for your players because, again, the connective tissue between that and now is, is important. Mm -hmm. However, Sean Johnson was, was, was in an MLS Cup. Great. I think he, he, he fights for that spot. But now you've got Gabriel Slanina, 17 years old. He may be 18 now, but I think he's still 17. He's being linked with clubs already. Very good in his first sort of half season with the Chicago Fire. I mean, how, what, do you, what do you see from him being called into this? I mean, going with four goalkeepers, going to 28 players in this camp, there has to be some sort of statement. Do you think this is just about, hey, we want you, you're part of the future, don't play for, uh, for, for Poland? Or do you think that he's actually starting to build a little bit of a narrative for himself as the, as the potential number three for this World Cup? Yeah, I think that it's probably a little mix of both. I get the sense that they recognize they have an absolute monster on their hands in Slonina and Chicago fire know it as well, because they are looking to send their other 17 year old goalkeeper, Chris Brady to club Bruga, who, I mean, Chicago fire are pumping out the goalkeepers right now. Slonina though has already got first team minutes. It looks like he's going to be the first time goalkeeper for years to come, unless he looks to make a move elsewhere. And I'm sure he will at some point. Um, I think that's a normal ambition. Uh, and, I think that the Greg is sending to them, and this is a little unfortunate for Sean Johnson, who was very good at NYCFC's cup run when they ended up winning MLS Cup, that Slanina might end up getting it. And if he is getting significant looks or, or calls or being talked to by the Polish Federation, then I think you want to get your hooks into him, especially if you can see that he has got the talent to be our number one guy, you know, and maybe maybe even the next World Cup cycle, you know, five years from now, four or five years from now, he could be he could be the guy with all due respect to Stefan and Turner, who are still going to be probably in their primes, especially as a goalkeeper, you know, you got might have Slonina that's going to be really climbing and going above them. I feel like you didn't bring him in unless you wanted to let him know, we, we, we want you, we care about you. Obviously, we have two goalkeepers that have done very well for us so far. You're going to get your turn, but as a consolation prize to how we feel about you, what we took you as the third goalkeeper to the World Cup, you know? And so I really feel like it's between him and Sean Johnson for that spot. And you've been uh, very vocal in terms of bringing a younger guy to take that third spot in a World Cup, get him, yeah. getting him that experience. Uh, and when I was at the World Cup in 06, we had, we had two experienced goalkeepers with Casey Keller and Marcus Hanneman. And then we had our young goalkeeper in Tim Howard. I and mean, he wasn't that young, but, but maybe even Tim Howard was a second. I guess you'd have to ask Marcus or Tim who, who was number two in that one. But 
but it was a good experience for Tim, who then obviously took the took the mantle from there and, and went on and played in two World Cups after that. So and it was our number one. And I could see the same thing happening for Selena. But it is important to get that experience. And it starts. Even I, when Bruce brought me into my first World Cup qualifier, he brought me in in the 23, but he didn't play me. I sat in the stands. But I think he wanted me to be around to see what it looks like when you're playing away from home, what it looks like when you're in the hotel the night before a game, how people conduct themselves in those situations. Uh, when you handle the 3 a.m. phone calls from, from the fans that are calling you to try to wake you up and throw you off your game, when the drums are playing, all that type of stuff, you needed to see it and taste it so that when it was your turn, to actually lace them up and go, you'd already kind of work through that first part and visualize what a day like that would be. So I think it's important that Selena's there. Yeah, and then I guess the the, the final note I'll have on that uh, and, and one of your quick thoughts of, do you think anything plays into this with the potential that Zach Steffen likely going to be on the bench for the rest of the, rest of the year and, and the foreseeable future at Manchester City? Matt Turner now linked with an Arsenal move and, and would then be a, at least um, an understudy for the time being, and not getting minutes. I mean, and then you've got Sean Johnson and Slanita, who are both going to get regular minutes at their club team, seemingly both fighting for a third spot against two goalkeepers who might not even be playing come World Cup time. I mean, what, what are your quick thoughts on that? Yeah, it's tough. You know, I think the Matt Turner move is, is interesting in particular because he is the reigning MLS goalkeeper of the year. He had nine clean sheets in 13 national team games, despite only having, quote-unquote, MLS experience. Very good for us was the goalkeeper of the tournament at the Gold Cup. And that's because he's playing regularly. He goes over to Arsenal, of course. That sounds like a dream move, especially for you, Heath Pierce, as an Arsenal fan, maybe not so much for others. But but he's going to be behind Ramsdale, who is emerging as a possible threat to Jordan Pickford as the number one for England. So he's got a lot to play for. He's not going to want to give up any playing time so he lo doesn't lose his edge to, to especially an American, right? There's always still that uh, stigma that Americans can't play, and that probably won't be shaken for a while. But Matt Turner can play, and we know this, but he needs minutes as well. So I'm curi very curious as to what Arsenal is promising him because he's got to be saying the same things. I need to be sharp leading into a World Cup. What kind of games can you give me leading up to it? So that is gives me some cause for concern that our two potential number ones will be playing backup in the Premier League to, to two very good goalkeepers, of course. Yeah, I mean, speaking of number ones, I mean, one of the things that I think is actually, no matter what guys Greg Berhalter called in and and again we've talked about this at length it seems like you could give us a roster of 35 and I'd be pretty sure and 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 I I'm guessing you would as well Jimmy the starting 11 the 11 that are uh, that are best together the 11 that are capable of getting the results we're talking about you know MMA in the midfield feeling like mm -hmm. a sure thing the only again the only variable that I'm I'm still trying to figure out is is when Gio Reyna comes back in I mean do you think in Greg Berhalter's mind, all players fit and available, that you're talking about 12, 13 players that he's going to be looking at for that starting 11? Or do you think there is still competition uh, open, seeing as, as, as you know, there are some players being worked back in this camp? Because it seems like that 11 is getting pretty clear, even though we, you know, we've seen in every 11 and under, under the sun during this qualifying campaign. Yeah, as I mentioned, I think the 11 that's starting to emerge, and I'll just repeat it just so we can go over it once again, but I think Stefan is the number one because of his ball-playing ability, him being able to make passes out of tough situations if we do play back to him, whereas that's where I think Matt Turner is a little bit behind Zach. Outside is of that like, a skill set you want in a World Cup? It, it might be, based on your opponent, right? If you know you're going to get a little bit of the ball and and or if you're going to be under some pressure and you have a goalkeeper that can play out of it, and we've seen already some some examples of how important that's been for us as it led to a goal and I believe against Costa Rica 
at home in Columbus where he played a nice little ball that got us out of some pressure and allowed us to then transition in a meaningful way. Matt Turner, incredible shot stopper. There's no question. So, you know, I do think he might have a little bit of an edge on Zach Steffen on that. But overall, I think Steffen's probably a more complete package and, and provides us a little bit more, I think, overall. But it might depend on the opponent. And then you have a back four. I think the center backs at the moment feel pretty solidified. I think Chris Richards can maybe chip in, chip away and get in there on either either Miles Robinson or Walker Zimmerman. I guess it depends what you're looking for. Anthony Robinson looks like he's got it locked down to the left side. I'm happy that we have somebody there that's locked in. Right back seems a little bit wide open, though. I think it's going to be Dest until and there might be a matchup where we might need somebody a little bit more defensive-minded, and then we could lean on uh, a Yedlin or a Cannon or even a Joe Scally, assuming he finally gets a shot at some point. MMA for sure in the midfield. I don't think there's anybody really displacing any of those guys. Bustio is not even in this particular camp. De La Torre, I'm excited to see him a little bit more because I think he provides a little something that I'd like to see more of, especially with this group of players. And then Gio Reyna for me, I think would be a starter if everybody was healthy. And I think Brendan Aronson, as much as it might be to his chagrin and everybody loves Brendan Aronson, I think you and I are both in that camp. He might be better off coming on as a super sub. I mean, imagine his motor and his energy with 30 minutes left to go, I think he could really be a difference maker in that type of role. And he might have to settle for that, assuming everybody's healthy and ready to go. Then Pulisic on the other side. And Ricardo Pepe until proven otherwise. Though there might be a matchup where you could have, and I don't know if Daryl DK ever get called in again. It seems like there's always 100 reasons why he's not. Or the reason, I don't know if they always make sense to us, but I wish he'd get another look. Jordan Pifuk not being in as well. Interesting. Obviously, Josh Sargent's not here. So, and Jesus Ferreira is in. I'm kind of curious how they're going to use him potentially moving forward. Is it as a backup number nine or where they're going to put him? But but that number nine spot, I think, is still wide open. So you kind of have right back based on formation. I think you have the number nine that's a little wide open. And maybe there's some room there at center back where you could figure out a different pairing. But it's looking like the three to choose from are going to be Richard Zimmerman and Miles Robinson. I like that. I, I mean... Again, the only thing I would add is this: uh, Josh Sargent, if you're listening, to this is has scored for for for. Call Norwich, him in. Uh, and, what are we and, waiting and, for? Well, so you know he's got the the proper Finally. goal scorer uh, that we, that we've been looking for. Again, not coming in. What's the difference with Josh Sargent? Josh Sargent is doing Josh Sargent things at Norwich. I don't think it's the right club for him. But what's changed about him when he was sort of the go-to guy for almost a couple of years? It felt like of being our, our number one. Obviously, a lot has changed very quickly with this national team and the development of players. I don't want to get too much into that because we, we, we can use our USMNT hour to talk more specifically well, we about players that we can rant on for a while. But I agree with you. I think it's, 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 it's exciting to know that we're getting closer to uh, a starting lineup or an 11 that we can, we can trust in, 11 that we can believe in, 11 that I think have a lot of upside still. And the fact that there's still a lot of youth in that 11. So we're talking about 12 months from now. 11 might be a little bit different, but you're going to have a lot more experience from that group regardless. But listen, Jimmy, we're going to take a quick break for anybody uh, that's watching or listening to this. We will be right back to talk about more uh, news, little snippets and uh, some news and information about the U.S. men's national team. We'll be right back. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky 
co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. All right, everyone, we are back. Jimmy, we've got a few more things to talk about before we let people uh, sail off into the sunset with their day. Uh, first of which, <laughs> Brian Reynolds' loan to Anderlecht fell through. Uh, been been sort of wondering where he was going to land on his feet. Again, I continue to look at, at, at uh, situ- players going to Holland, but even though most of them are going to Belgium now. Uh, but it sounds like he's nearing a, a loan move to mid-table court trick. Kortrik, I believe, is the right one. Um, don't know your initial thoughts on this or, or what your thoughts are. Maybe they're not initial. I'm just happy for him to get minutes. Yeah, you know, I think same, it's same. the right step for him. The worry that I have with a lot of these young players going abroad, and we're going to see Justin Che now uh, go on loan to Hoffenheim for 18 months, and we're seeing a couple of these longer-term um, deals, including, um, I'm blanking on his name, to Feyenoord. Um, but... Uh, it, you're, Cole, Cole I worry Bassett. about these players going so quickly at such a young age that they're having one year of professional football under them. Then we sell them to another club, and then we hope for the best, right? And then mm-hmm. Roma is an example of a player like Brian Reynolds. You go, nah, kind of a big leap. Uh, and to see him just get consistent minutes, we had heard he was coming back to MLS for a while. But but are you happy with this move just to see him get a consistent run of minutes just to know what kind of player he's going to be? Uh, yeah, yeah. Team? No, no, I am. I think it's important for him to – get into a spot where he can learn how to become a pro in some ways. I mean, as much as I was bummed just to go back to my old playing days when I didn't get drafted after winning the national championship with UCLA, it took me what, 25 minutes to flex. I thought I would be one of the seniors that got drafted. The other four guys didn't, and I didn't. And I had to go down and play in the A league at the time. And it ended up being the most important part of my career because I had to decide whether I wanted to be a pro or not, but I also learned how to be, become a pro and to learn how to, cut your teeth, putting food on the table, you know, competing against your own teammates, put food on the table is how I wanted to say it. Now, Brian Reynolds had that a little bit at FC Dallas, but he was still a homegrown. Like he still felt, you know, it didn't, there was no real change. He was still kind of comfortable in his bubble. Now he gets out of his comfort zone and he's probably like, oh shit, this is, this is a lot different. And there is nobody holding my hand here. They're, they're, they want me to succeed, but I still have to beat out the people around me. And I think that would have been nice if they had just, maybe loaned him out immediately or close to once they re- recognize that maybe he wasn't up, up for it yet, especially learning a new position. I mean, the guy started as a striker, then moved back into midfield and then became a right back and only had what, 10 games as a right back before they purchased him. So that is a very unique position to learn and very difficult to learn, especially if your instincts are elsewhere on the field. So I think he got a little hard done by and maybe too much too soon for him in particular. So for him to go to a Belgian club or, or, or to a league like that, where he's going to get important minutes and learn the position, is going to be very valuable to him, not only as a as a player, but also as a human being, as he kind of like just wraps his head around all the expectations and pressure that come from being an American that's gone thrust over into Europe and everybody expects you to be the next big thing, which can't be easy to handle. I do want to say, though, I thought he looked good against Bosnia. I know that friendly, whatever you think of it, when he came on, I actually thought he was pretty bright and was trying to make some things happen. So he has yeah. something to his game that we can all see. The guy just needs minutes. And if it's not with Jose Mourinho, then that's fine. I'm sure he learned a lot at that point, that time. At that time, excuse me, or during or during his time with them, but going somewhere else to kind of just 
kind of flourish and then come back to the to the mother club, as it were, uh, I think would be important. And Justin Shea is a little bit different, though, because he'd already gone over on loan to Byron before and had shown well, came back to Dallas. So he had a little bit of that taste. And I think it is important for Justin Shea, who's going to Hoffenheim, that he's going with another FC Dallas Academy, uh, a graduate with uh, Chris Richards, which I think is pretty cool that he'll already have a friend that can kind of ease that transition, which I think does make a big difference. Yeah, I, I would say the, the only thing I would say for the Brian Reynolds thing is is I, I'm just happy that he's going to a club. And I think we as fans are spoiled at the moment that we see our trajectories mm -hmm. of our players going to big clubs and some of those actually working out for once, right? We always hoped that would happen. And then it finally didn't. And we expect all of them to happen that way. That some of these players are going to have to take a step back, eat a piece of humble pie, get going on their career. And who knows where they could go from there. I'm not saying Brian Reynolds doesn't have the upside because we saw in that, that little snippet against Bosnia that he certainly does. And Justin Chase, same thing. I worry about the move to to to, to uh, Hoffenheim because it's a big club. I think mm -hmm. 18 months. I, I like that just because of the, the, the that window of time for them to settle sure. in and prove themselves and go through all the things that you go through as a, one a young player, but two a foreign player. I think that's only going to help him in the long run. And then Jimmy, I want to get your thoughts uh, uh, as this last little piece of, piece of news and information. Uh, Paul Ariola, FC Dallas, a record deal within the league uh, from from what I'm reading. Uh, do you like this over a move to Club America? It seems like, from what I've read, that he shut shut that idea down. Uh, again, Paul Ariel has been a little bit vocal in the press as well, trying to sh like dispel any sort of rumors of what could have been or should have been. Uh, do you like this move for him, uh, or, or do you think there was potentially a better option for him in terms of challenging himself career-wise? Well, Ariola came from Tijuana Zolos Cholos, so he'd already had that Liga MA Keys experience. You know, it's not... Not to say you wouldn't want to go back to Club America, right? They're like the New York Yankees uh, of Mexican football. But, you know, there's just, if he's already kind of lived it and done it, and even though the, the pressure would be different and Club America is bigger than Tijuana, I just, I just wonder what his motivation was. Or maybe, maybe he's even asking Greg Berhalter, where, where should I go? You know, I mean, in some ways you're like, okay, if I go to Club America and I'm not a, a regular starter, he's on, the, he's on the fringe. So he's a little bit different. When, when, when you are on the fringe, now Matt Turner feels like he's a lock for, for one of the three goalkeeper spots for the World Cup. So if he doesn't play, it's not the end of the world. It's not as much competition for where he is. But Ariola is like on the precipice. And if he's going to Club America and doesn't play, that could really work against him. Whereas if he goes to FC Dallas, who could use an experienced player because they sell all their best young players to kind of mix with everything else they've got going. I think you could, you could see him maybe flourish because the head coach there was an assistant under Greg. And... And maybe there's something you can build there that uh, obviously we'll get regular tabs on on how he's doing and how he fits yeah. in. I don't know. I think from a career choice, if you wanted to play in a World Cup, going to a team in FC Dallas that is coached by the by the assistant under Greg for the last few years is a is a it wouldn't be a bad thing. Yeah, and final final note on that, Jimmy and and Shaq Moore obviously drawing a lot of interest uh, with Major League Soccer, but I, I'd rather take this last last minute and talk about uh, Jesus Ferreira signing a DP deal. First homegrown or largest homegrown uh, contract uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, DP mm -hmm. deal for a player. I mean, do you like that that move as well? I mean, partially for me, I love the idea of finally being able to reward a player who's done well domestically, right? Now we're so obsessed with like good player, good player, so good he goes abroad. And that's the mm -hmm, way in mm -hmm. which we judge that. But, but I also think the way that we're seeing MLS teams start to reward those players by one, signing new contracts so that they can ask for bigger transfer fees but also rewarding them as players within the team. Now you're talking about Paul Ariola on a big contract, mm -hmm. probably next to Jesus Ferreira as well, 
who's on a, on a big contract and building around some of these American players where we saw for a while as we've gone down to get the 21, 22-year-old South American, and this is a little bit more MLS-based, but for mm-hmm. the American player, getting minutes and being rewarded for good minutes and also being valued at the same level as some of these bigger players, I think it's really important. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I like the homegrown, the first ever homegrown signing a DP contract. I think that's that's a nice step in the evolution of kind of tying these two separate things, two separate ideas, these two mechanisms within the, the MLS salary cap, and finally getting kind of tied together. That And that there is enough talent that's being developed from a homegrown perspective that can allow it to flourish into something that can that can warrant getting a, a contract of that size. I do want to say, though, it does make me feel old because I played against his dad, David Ferreira, and and his dad was a DP. So it's kind of cool that his dad was a DP and he's also that was a league MVP. That too. Right, right, right. I mean, it's 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 pretty remarkable. So and the head coach there is Nico Estevez. I I, uh, forgot his name earlier, but um, he was an assistant under Greg for a couple of years with the national team. So I I like it again for the same reasons. Um, Jesus Ferreira, I think, is a tremendous talent. I think this is a nice step. And uh, I don't think anybody should begrudge the guy from grabbing the bag. And if he can make some money in MLS and go for it. And if that allows him to play for the 2022 World Cup team and allows him to potentially take a step, if he plays well there and, and take a step and maybe go over to Europe or South America or wherever he wants to go, more power to the guy. But uh, I'm excited for him. I'm excited for FC Dallas for showing this type of ambition. And somebody had to do it, right? There was going to be some player in one of these academies for MLS that was going to warrant getting a DP contract. And to your point, Heath Pierce, it's just cool that instead of selling them off when they're at their best petite peak potential, whatever it is, we're actually trying to keep those players. And FC Dallas has been accused of that with all the players they have essentially given away over the years to European clubs. Now they're finally keeping one of their own. And I think that's a sign to their fans that, hey, we want to make sure we build a winner here as well. Yeah, I like that. I like that thought. Now, finally, Jimmy, last couple thoughts from you. Uh, Brendan Aronson being linked with the, the move to Leeds. Uh, want to get your, your take on that. Obviously, Leeds are on a high right now. Jack Harrison on a high. All the things that we want to see from the massive club that is Leeds or historically massive club that is Leeds. Uh, chaos reigns supreme there in terms of their style of play. Actually seems to fit Brendan Aronson in terms of yeah. the way Jack Harrison even plays. Reminds me some of, of Brendan Aronson in terms of that high energy, sort of the heavy metal or high octane uh, football. But what, you think that would be a good next move for him, knowing that there is a little bit... I, I, I less control this, for him when you tough. step into an environment. Oh, this is tough, Heath. I've thought about this already. And if I'm Brendan Aronson, I've just been a relatively key man for them to qualify for the Champions League knockout rounds for the first time in RB Salzburg's history. And I think as a player, you want to see that through. With Leeds, I don't think he's going to be playing the Champions League uh, in, in the near future, right? It could take quite a few no but uh, jimmy at 20 million you're talking top four clubs in most top five leagues outside of the premier league any team in the premier league can spend 20 most other clubs in europe cannot unless you're in the top four which is also or, a tough, or if you're a tough predicament for a I player get to get minutes yes i understand i i i think that there is a lot of value to not only playing for leeds but for playing under marcelo bielsa i mean obviously that guy is considered the godfather to a lot of the top coaches these days and I think that that is tremendous. That experience will be amazing. And obviously playing in the Premier League, though, Josh Sargent, I think, chased that Premier League romanticism and it necessarily hasn't worked out for him until today. Maybe he finally scored in a big one against Watford. But with 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 regard to this, I just I really feel like can Brendan Aronson get that Champions League knockout round experience, which is going to be unparalleled in his young career, which he might not get at Leeds ever. And and just say, Leeds, listen, I want to come to you. 
but I want to see out the rest of the season with RB Salzburg and then make that move in the summer, which might even be better because right now they're in a dogfight leads. They're not too far off the relegation zone. That's where I'm leaning. And that's how I'd maybe consider it as a player. If Leeds was comfortably mid table or maybe even scraping to get into a, a Europa league spot or conference league spot or whatever, maybe I'd be more willing because they'd be where they were last season. But now you're walking into a situation that feels a little bit more dire Bielsa has known to be a little bit unpredictable. Will he stay? Will he go? And if he leaves, then what? So so you're getting brought in by one manager who might not even be there by the time you actually settle in. It, it's, I don't know. There's a tricky balance there. And and I want to hear your thoughts because I don't necessarily feel like I'm completely sold on mine, but I think you could make a strong case if I was him. I'd want to really want to play the Champions League knockout rounds. That would be unbelievable. Yeah, I think knockout rounds is a big a big thing for him. He's a key player in that team. I think about the Premier League. And, and when I think about Brendan Aronson's trajectory, I would have thought 12 months ago, Leeds was too big for him. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. I look at it in the spoiled eyes that I have of this national team and go, is it the right club for him? Is it the right club for his development? Now, the way that they play, yes. Mm-hmm. But Leeds plays that way under their manager now. Leeds might not always play that way, right? If, if there's a change there. And Leeds has the ability to go through fluctuations that might not always be great for Brendan Aronson. Now it'll make him stronger. It'll make him tougher. I think he's got the mindset to get through those types of things. But it's less predictable. Also, bringing a player in in January into the Premier League always worries me because it feels like a little bit more of a, of a, a fire extinguisher in certain situations. Obviously, spending this much money, there's a larger plan for him in the context of that. But you, I agree with you in the fact that I would say, hey, let's wait till summer. And if the interest is still there, I'm all yours for as long as you need me. I promise you, me as a player right now, I'm not going to change anything for you in these six months that you can't wait six, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. six months from now uh, and get the same thing out of me. I'm not going to save you from relegation. You're fine. I'm not going to get you to a Champions League spot. You're probably going to sit right middle of the table, ups up, high highs and low lows of the season, finish right where you right where you started, yeah, and everything's right. going to be fine. That's the way I'd right. be looking at it now, knowing that you're going into a summer. However, then summertime comes, they maybe have more budget. Maybe that affects uh, his reason of going there. Or, or his status in the national team. And again, he's one of those players that I don't think Brennan Aronson goes to a World Cup if he spends six months on a bench somewhere. I don't think so. He is a form player. He's the energy guy, and you want him. And I don't think you get he gets the same excuses as other guys are if he's not playing every single week, or at least consistently. Uh, yeah. If he goes to a club and he's sitting on a bench, I think he quickly falls out knowing that he's a player for the future. Maybe you look at 2026. So I think that's another key piece of this World Cup is saying, what kind of risk am I taking um, if, if, if I end up going there now. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. Uh, and, and I think we're on the same page with regard to what that looks like. I, I think the interest obviously is flattering. You have a, a, a big time manager and a club with a rich history interested in you, given what you bring to the table. And I do think, as you said before, his qualities really speak to what Bielsa loves in a player. We saw even his pursuit of Daniel James from Manchester United. They wanted to sign him before he went to United, and they still wanted him after he was at United because of this like, tireless work ethic that he provides. Maybe they'll have too many of the similar players on the team, but it doesn't seem like Bielsa cares that much. Now, I think it would also be very cool if Brendan Aronson could go in there and slot and start right away, but I don't know if they could offer him that guarantee. But play next to Rafinha, who I think is a really special player. You got Jack Harrison on the other side. You got Phillips when he's healthy you know, underneath you and, and when Bamford's healthy as well up top. I mean, you got you got some players that I think that would really fit in with Aronson's skill set, but I do think it's best for him to stay with Salzburg and then maybe join Leeds in the summer. Well, Jimmy, guess what? We're out of time, man. Oh, That's it. my. We did it's it. not the USMNT hour today. This is just talking about the roster drop. So we are going to wrap it up right here. But as a reminder to everybody, Jimmy and I will be with you for the weekend recap from all the world's games as well as going into next week, CONCACAF begins. So you'll be seeing Jimmy and I's ugly mugs quite often as we walk you through 
the previews and the reviews of the upcoming games all across CONCACAF. And as a reminder, make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel. And if you listen, if you listen to this on Spotify, go and leave a review. It makes us feel good. It also helps more people find this and helps us to keep making free episodes for you guys. And until next time, from myself, Jimmy Conrad, Des Norris, we will see you guys soon.